Hi everyone and welcome to Teeth and Tales. I'm your host Dr. Shadi Manucheri and today's guest is the wonderful Dr. Nikki Kehani who is a practice owner and she's completing her specialist training in prosthodontics and in this episode we talk about how to go about setting up a squat dental practice. For those of you that are unfamiliar with the concept, squat dental practice is where you set everything up from scratch rather than buying an existing practice. Nikki talks to us about her experience of doing this, some lessons she's learned and tips on how to go about doing it if you're considering the same. So I really hope you enjoy this episode and without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hi, Nikki. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Exciting to be on here and talk to you about this. Could you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do, please? Of course. So I qualified from King's College London in 2017. So coming up to five years now. And straight from there, I went to my foundation training year, as most people, most graduates did. And then followed that up with going to associateship. And I did a year of that uh, while simultaneously doing a diploma in restorative dental practice at the Eastman. And then from there, I kind of decided I want to keep studying and do something further. So I followed that up with uh, going on to the Emplin Dent in prosthodontics at King's. So specializing and opening up my own practice, Ocean Dental Studio. Was a lot you've squeezed in in those five years I and mean, I know how <laughs> difficult all of those individual things are now to do them together it's it's even more difficult so talk me through how did you decide because for example I did dental core training and then when you're doing that kind of thing it's more sort of mainstream to go and do specialist training whereas when you're an associate it can seem very daunting to go back to school and go back to training so how did you decide you wanted to do first a diploma and then your MCLIN dent? So I think I was one of those really rare, weird children who always knew they wanted to do dentistry, you know, from the age of three, telling everyone I wanted to be a dentist. So when I qualified, it was a really kind of weird time for me when the only goal or only aim I had in life was achieved. And then you're kind of looking around you and thinking, well, what do I do next? What's the next step? And you don't anticipate for there to be so many options of what you can do. You think of dentistry, but you don't actually consider, wait a minute, there's a lot of different areas and there's a lot of different options, which are all very varied and, Mm. you know, um, and the one thing I knew at the time was I didn't want to do hospital. I loved practice. My, I think I was really lucky in the sense that my foundation year I found myself in the perfect practice in the town that I grew up in. I kind of knew everyone, I knew the area, and I absolutely loved it. And I could feel myself clinical skills developing there as well. So I knew it was the right place for me to be in. So I decided to stay there as an associate. But then at the same time, I kind of knew I wanted to keep developing. And I didn't want to be, I mean, as everyone knows, being in a practice is quite isolating. So I didn't want to be in a practice and just go to work and go home every day. So I started researching and looking at what kind of courses I could do. Again, so many, you're kind of bombarded with the amount of options there are and you're looking left and right when all of your friends are doing X, Y, and Z. Um, And I kind of stumbled across the restorative diploma, which seemed like the perfect fit. 
because I didn't want to do just a single area of dentistry. I wanted restorative where all areas of my dentistry could be developed and pushed and uh, worked on. So, you know, it just kind of worked that way that I fell into that. And it was exactly the right fit for me. I loved it. And I felt like I was just excelling. I was learning everything. I was connecting with um, different colleagues who all have, you know, different practice experiences. And I had a lot of mentors as well. And of course, my mentors were all prosthodontists. So, you know, speaking to them and um, I remember one time I spoke to one of my tutors. I did quite well in my first year and he just sort of went, well, have you ever considered specializing? And honestly, no, I had not. That was not the route that I had planned to take my career down. But when they plant that seed into your head, you kind of reevaluate your whole life and your whole career. And um, yeah, it kind of just bloomed from there. And I thought, well, you know what, why don't I just apply and see what happens? And that applying application process on a fluke became an offer. And then from there, you know, couldn't say no and just realized it deep down. Clearly, I did want it because I got the offer and I was just emotionally crying and ready to take off. <laughs> I was like, yeah, OK, this must be what I want to do, but I don't even know it. Um, and yeah, just everything that happened within the last five years has been so organic, um, but truly the most incredible journey. Do you know, I honestly tell everyone, you see dental students now, or even before they've applied to dentistry, they have an idea of what exactly what they want to do. So you see an mm. A-level student who turns around and says, I want to be an orthodontist or an endodontist. And I always say, please, please, it's fine to have aspirations, but please don't have an opinion before you've seen everything and you've experienced everything. Because until you see things, you don't really know if you're going to like it. And this is something that we will be doing for a very long time. So you really need to make sure that you enjoy it um, as well as sort of do well at it. So it's it's really important to go down an organic path in your sounds ideal. So talk me through how practice ownership came into it suddenly, because going down an academic route of specializing in, in itself is very difficult and time consuming so when did you decide that you wanted to become a principal you want to have your own practice I think I love this question because growing up um so my mom was a practice principal and growing up obviously there's a lot of dentists around me and they always told me that I would have to choose whether I wanted to go down the academic route or whether I wanted to go down a more business route and I mean, coming to me and telling me that I have to choose is probably the worst thing you could do or telling me no, absolutely no. So every time I kind of heard that, it would drive me and motivate me of absolutely, you know, no chance. I don't want a choice in the sense that I have to choose. I want a choice in the sense that I have so many opportunities that I can pick and do them all and juggle them and, you know, have a little bit of a taste of everything. Um, but, you know, I sometimes joke because my mom was a practice principal that she kind of brought me up in her own image. She brought me up to be a practice principal and kind of instill all of those characters within me. So I can't say there was a time when I knew I wanted to be a practice principal. It's something that I, in my heart, always felt that I was made for and wanted to do. And it was always an ambition that I'd had. Um, and it just kind of spoke to my character. It was inherently part of me. So when the opportunity, it was more that the opportunity arose. And when it did, you know, there was no question that was what I was going to do. And that's, that was the route I was going to take. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it definitely, I didn't know that. It definitely helps if you've got dentists in the family. And I think because it's such a minefield and we don't get anything taught, we don't get taught anything about practice ownership mm-hmm. or business when we're at dental school. And suddenly you're supposed to just graduate and know everything clinically as well as the business side of things, which we're not naturally good at. The majority of people, I think, that go into dentistry are more academic than they are business minded. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the benefits of, of the dental profession is that you have that option, uh, but we don't know anything about it. So I think it really does help if you have somebody in the family who can give you good advice, essentially. It's still it's still very much hard work and everything is on you, but it just, I think, helps to have that backup and have that comfort of knowing someone can give you solid advice when you need it. Um, so as we know, um, when you go down the practice ownership uh, route, you can either buy an existing business or you can set up on your own. Um, and it's always, I think, difficult to decide what to do. I think it's all about weighing up the benefits uh, versus the negatives for that individual circumstance and that individual person. So what was it for you that tipped it one way rather than the other? Um, so, that, you know, it's a very much a personal decision. There's advantages and disadvantages of both. So as with everything in dentistry, it's not a hard and fast rule. What worked for me may not be the right answer for everyone else. But for me, I decided to open a squat. And, you know, the main reason was because I get to kind of, you know, put my mark on everything. And the most obvious thing that I know everyone's thinking about is in terms of design. So cabinets, the design was all my own. I mean, at the time I had the idea that I'd like to have the decon room in the middle of all the surgeries, just, you know, for ease and to make everything simpler and the nurses don't have to walk down the corridor. And it's such a simple thing, but having a squat practice meant that I was able to design that and I was meant to able to kind of bring that into reality. But aside from design, it's also being able to have your own brand and your own vision of how you want the business front in terms of all of my patients were brand new when they come to me. And that kind of gives me this blank, you know, uh, slate of how I want things to go you know, patients, if they're going to the same existing practice, they're more inclined to follow the same habits that they've always had, because that's why they've been going to that practice at the end of the day. It's the same you know, thing with McDonald's. People don't go there because it's the best food or cheap prices. It's the consistency that they're going there for. So I felt if I had patients who are all brand new, they would not be having any habits. They wouldn't be coming to my practice and expecting a certain way of doing things they'll be ready for my way of doing things, how I want my run to run my dentistry and my admin side of things and my care management side of things. So that was a big pulling point for me. Um, and then finally, the most important, your team. So your team are trained how you want them to be and how you want things run and how you want the patient experience to go. Um, and of course, not forgetting the most important thing, it's cheaper to own a brand, to build a squat and potentially, hopefully, more profitable. Um, so that was a big pulling factor as well. Um, but then on the other side of things, if I had to flip things as well, I don't want to sound as if buying a practice doesn't mean that you can't input your vision or anything like that. You can still buy a practice and change the branding, change the style and make it your own. But, you know, you've got staff and patients who then need to be reaccustomed to your way of seeing things. And um, you've got a bit of an uphill battle in that sense because, you've, you know, you've got your patient list from day one. Hmm. 
Um, so yeah, there's, there's lots of things to consider, but for me, having a squat just spoke to me a little bit better. So how do you go about, cause I think the idea of a squat is, is nice when you think about it, you can, you know, it's a brand new, fresh blank mm-hmm. canvas that you just create. But for someone like me, who is completely clueless about the business side of dentistry and, you know, registration with the CQC and all of this kind of stuff, how do you know what to do first? How do you go about it? I mean, I know location, if, if someone gives me too much choice, I become paralyzed. I don't know what to do. I like sort of my choices (laughs) being narrowed down. If you give me too much choices, I can't, I can't function. So Mm -hmm. how do you, for example, the location, which is one of the most important things, because with a squat practice, as we know, there is no goodwill. There's no patience whatsoever. You're creating everything. So your, the location is, is very, very key in how successful your business is. So how did you go about choosing the location? Um, well, for me, again, the location, when you have worked there before, when you know the area is a huge, huge pulling point because you're comfortable, you know the demographic of patients and you know kind of what to expect. Um, as my architect dad says, location, location, location. So it's always the first thing you need to kind of be thinking about. Um, but then on top of that, when you're looking at a specific site, so there's a couple of things you want to consider. One being whether you've got the opportunity for expansion um, and not necessarily thinking I'm going to expand straight away. I need it to be three rooms, four rooms, because when you're opening a squat, it most likely will start with one room. But knowing that you've got that future for your business to grow and, you know, there's not going to be something that's going to limit your business development. Um, Obviously, demographic of patients and more in terms of demographic of patients or whether they are in line with what you want your vision of the practice to be. So quite often you'll see people saying, oh, you want, you know, a good demographic and affluent area. That's fantastic. But you don't want to be at the same time opening a squat dental practice in a family orientated town if your sole goal is aesthetics. Mm. So every time you're looking at one of these points, it needs to go back into what your vision for the practice is and what your overall goal for your business is. Um, And then, for example, is there competition in the area? Are there other practices? And again, it's not just about looking, is there a dental practice nearby? It may be that they're a specialist practice, but you're hoping to own a general family orientated practice. In that case, the specialist practice might actually do you some good because you could work alongside each other. So looking at these factors, but looking a little bit deeper to, again, relate to what you're doing and how it would help your vision. The costs of whichever location you're looking at would always be a factor. Business rates, all of those things that make you want to cry at the end of the day. Um, visibility of the practice, so whether patients can see you and you know get in contact. But again, with visibility, actually, it's quite a good one because whenever I say that, I think sometimes people think I just mean go to city centre or go to the town centre because then you'll get good visibility. Whereas really, if you look about it in my town or the place that I work, we have four or five dental practices in the town centre, all within a stone's throw of each other. But when I looked at the map, there's only one or two practices in the north of the town and then nothing elsewhere. So the surrounding areas were pretty, pretty bare. They weren't getting any um, access to dental practices. Uh, and all of the practices in town don't have parking available. So for me, that was fantastic. We've got few thousand houses being built in the surrounding areas 
which was the perfect opportunity for me. You know, fantastic housing development, parking on site, a co-op nearby, a little square so that people get visibility. They can see where I am whilst at the same time not needing to go right into the centre where I may have other problems and other limitations. Um, And then, you know, things like leasehold, freehold, little factors to consider there. But don't take location lightly, I would say. It's your first step into determining whether it's going to be a success or whether it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And then in in terms of doing more on being visible because as we know now on, on social media and everything now you have to have an online presence to do well um and building from scratch I know marketing takes a lot of effort takes a lot of um just injection of cash into it to to be able to get visibility of the practice so what did you do in in the way of marketing to get the practice seen and get new patients in the in the in the seat um well actually I didn't do much marketing. So up until pretty much the first year of the practice, we didn't have to do much marketing. So it kind of brings the question again of, is there a playbook? Is there like a step-by-step guide of how to make a practice successful? Because I don't think so. I think every practice is so individual and it's not going to be successful unless it's working for the goal that you've you know, set out to do. In my case, um, the town that we're in is quite family town. It's quite family orientated. They're not huge social media use, users. Don't think Instagram is really right for my target uh, target audience at all. They tend to be more Facebook users. And more than that, they tend to be more leaflet based. So in the beginning, when we opened, it was a brand new housing development didn't need to do much marketing you know people came around that area anyway they were all walking around because they wanted to get to know the services available in that area and slowly but surely they got to know us and I think within the first few months we had registered around 1200 patients so each you know practice I I think I tend to hear this a lot as well where younger people tend to say I want a super luxurious practice. I want all the latest gadgets and I'm going to do social media and then it's going to be fantastic and it's going to be successful. That's not necessarily how it works. And that's not really the goals that you need to be looking at when you're first bringing out your vision board. It's not about, you know, whether I've got a microscope or it's not about whether I've got a scanner because in the first few months I couldn't justify getting a scanner, Mm. but it's about, Is that scanner, if I'm investing in that, is it really truly something that's going to invest back into my business? Because you need to start to differentiate, is this good for my business or is this something like a like a fun, fun project for me? Something I want to have in my business that would just be for me on the side. Um, And that applies to marketing as well. Know your demographic, know who you're uh, targeting, because if you're just marketing for the sake of marketing, you might as well just be putting money down the drain. Um, and that's not the best business decision. <laughs> that's that's really interesting because it just goes to show how you need to continuously assess your individual practice, your demographic of patients, mm-hmm. um, and who your target audience is. As with anything, if you're targeting sort of teenagers, if you're an orthodontic practice, you want to be on TikTok, maybe. If you're targeting young professionals, maybe yeah. Instagram. And if you're going for families, then maybe the old traditional. Um, leaflets and I remember you saying leaflets worked a great treat in just getting patients through the door so it's all about assessing what works well for 
for your individual practice. But I think exactly like you said, we're, we have this preconception about things of this is what success looks like. This is what you need to do to be successful. But actually it, the reality of that looks so different depending on where you are and what you're doing and what your practice is about. Absolutely. I think that's the takeaway message. This is my story of how I became successful. This is not applied to everyone and everyone's journey. That's why in dentistry, we've got so many different paths. You can take whichever one you want and you can still reach success at the end of it. The only thing that I'm hoping is my story can be inspirational or encouragement for anyone who's trying to work out their own path or their own method. Mm. Um, But there's not a stead and fast rule. There's not an easy one, two, three. Yeah. Uh, Well, there's a few which I would just say, have your vision and be prepared. But you know, you need to find your own method and your own journey of how to get there. Yeah. And would you say in the in the journey that you've been on, what have been some of the stumbling blocks? What, what's been particularly tricky and difficult for you to get around? I know you spoke about your family and I think I'm sure having a mum who's a dentist and who's a strong female, it really, really helps. And I'm sure your architect dad helped in designing the practice. Um, <laughs> But what's been some of the stumbling blocks, some of the things that you didn't anticipate will be tricky and how did you go about sort of overcoming those? So many, Shadi. How much time <laughs> do we have? Oh, my God. Um, look, I think the biggest surprise when you're opening a business or when you're opening a dental practice and it's something you've wanted to do for so long is that you kind of have in mind that I'm going to open a dental practice I'm going to be a practice principal and I'm going to be dealing with these amazing you know challenging business decisions on a daily basis and the reality is so far from that is so so different from that that it's unbelievable you are quite often dealing with the most you know, menial tasks on a daily basis and questioning your existence. But um, definitely, I learned, I've learned so many lessons along the way, so many lessons. And I think the biggest lesson I've learned is do not ever think that you have learned everything and do not ever think that, you know, you're the leader of the team and you now know everything because that's never, ever going to happen. You will always be learning. It is always a journey. And that's probably one of the best things about it, that you're still developing and you're still learning and you're still improving. And that's kind of the excitement that keeps you going. Um, But, okay, so I think within the first couple of months that we opened, we had a medical emergency. We had um, a lot of difficulties in terms of hiring staff because it was just after COVID. So I would quite often see the patient, be my own nurse, and then go out and take the money as a receptionist as well. So, you know, there was that. We had an almost data protection leak. We had, you know, lots of issues of still dealing with building, finishing, touches, and, you know, all of that kind of thing, building works. to this day, I still don't really know how the air conditioning works within the practice. <laughs> I know that. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of things and a lot of problems that you're going to face. But I think the main thing is to tell yourself things will happen. That is the one thing you can guarantee yourself. Owning a business, you need to be prepared for any eventuality. And most, if not all, will likely happen. But you need to be resilient, you need to stay calm, and you need to be prepared, because at the end of the day, your team are going to be looking to you 
as to how to deal with those situations. And as long as it's not, you don't need to have the answer because no one has all of the answers, but you need to know where to look and how to manage your team and how to, you know, and keep the confidence within you um, whilst maintaining that culture, which allows your team to kind of keep going with the vision that your practice has. Um, and you will get there. The practice did not start where it is today. The, you know, what we were like in day one, working on one room and understaffed and X, Y, Z is not where we are now. Now we have specialists, we have associate dentists, hygienists, you know, it's, it's worlds apart, but you will get there and it just needs patience and it needs your time and it needs your attention. I think the most important thing for me that I've learned in in life generally is just to accept that you won't have all the answers and you won't know everything. Because when you're thinking about setting up a business, dentistry, setting up your own dental practice, you feel like you need to have all the answers. You need to be ready. You feel like there's this magical moment where you suddenly feel like now is the time and you're ready to go. But from having spoken to so many senior colleagues and mentors, all they say is you're never going to have all the answers. You're never going to know. You're always going to run into problems that you never even imagined could exist. All you have to do is have the right attitude to know that you can problem solve and you just need to know um, how to delegate, where to find the answers because you won't have the answers. And I think once we accept that, then it just makes everything a little bit easier and you stop being so hard on yourself and just get on with dealing with the problem at hand rather than sort of put yourself down that you don't know the answers. I think that's the most important thing with anything in life that you're going to do, anything ambitious. Absolutely. I mean, look, being a practice principal at the end of the day, it's a job role. It's a job title. And just like with any other job, you kind of need to just interview yourself and say, if I was you know, being interviewed for this, would I be qualified for the role? Would I be, you know, would I get that role? And would I be deserving of that position? It doesn't mean you need to know all of the answers. It just means if I gave you that job tomorrow, would you know where to look? And would you have the characteristics to, you know, be an organizer, be structured, be a good team leader? Would you have, like with any other job, would you have researched into that role and known what it entails and you know what kind of questions are going to come up and what you need to look into and be prepared for it's not about knowing what you're going to do at 9 10 11 a.m it's about knowing how you're going to navigate throughout that schedule mm-hmm. of the day mm-hmm. and talk me through I mean going through everything that you're going through doing everything that you're doing is truly inspirational how do you deal with because I'm sure it's stressful I'm sure it's not all rosy and butterflies and rainbows how do you deal with the the tough side of things how do you unwind how do you deal with problems how do you deal with stressful situations do you have an outlet for your stress and how do you do that because as we know it's so important to look after yourself first so that you can perform and you can do all these things that you expect of yourself your team expects of you how do you how do you deal with that side of things that's a very very hard question (laughs) um truthfully I think the most difficult thing and I've definitely struggled with this in the past is feeling like I wasn't deserving of some time off because how could I possibly take time off when the team are working or when something at university is needed from me or when a patient is waiting or xyz you know the the list's goes on um 
so for me I kind of schedule my time off whilst scheduling my tasks and things to do so of course there'll be times when work is compartmentalized it's put on the side this is this is my time and I can't think about anything else because for the next few hours my schedule is me and whether that's exercising whether that's seeing friends whether that's reading a book or whether that's cooking it's usually cooking because that's followed by eating um (laughs) that tends to be the way that kind of this is my time and nothing can disrupt me whilst at the same time not telling myself off if my mind wanders to work because that can happen quite often as well I'll be cooking or I'll be with friends and I'll go oh I forgot to send that email or oh I forgot to get back to the patient about this you know xyz and I I don't need to tell myself off or be angry at myself for thinking about work because it's not just my work it's also my passion and it's also my hobby and it's also part of my identity but it's about realizing hey you know it's okay write that thing that you need to do down and go back to what you're doing now and you'll get back to it when your schedule allows Hmm. you know and I think it's it's really really hard to do because when you own a business I mean I set up the business when I was 25 and it opened when I was 26 And one of the thoughts I remember having was, wow, this is it. I'm now responsible for something for the foreseeable future. There's not going to be a single day when I'm not going to be responsible. And that's quite of a big thought to have, you know, so early on within your career. And I think it's about being, seeing the beauty in that rather than the fear in that. It's I kind of turned it around like, wow, I'm responsible for this. Mm. Look at all of this success. Look at all of the incredible things it's doing. I'm responsible. And I am insanely, insanely proud of that. And I always will be. And yeah, it's, it's hard to not constantly want to work. Mm. But when it's your passion, you know, you take out that thought of this is work and I have things to do and it's hey I'm back in the practice with my team and the people that I love and we're going to succeed today yeah and I think honestly one thing you said that was so important I think is changing that narrative of how you speak to yourself like anything you need to put a positive connotation to it rather than negative instead of saying instead of being scared of having that responsibility it's really a joy and I remember I felt this when I qualified because I was like how at such a young age how are we responsible for so much yeah Yeah. it's honestly like I remember when I qualified compared to all my friends who'd done things that weren't in the health industry I was like how are people trusting me to do this and that's honestly it's a privilege rather than a fear so I think it's so important to have that right um attitude of how you speak to yourself because ultimately that will affect your performance and if you can keep a positive then you will instill that positive mindset in yourself so that's how you deal with future problems whereas if you continue to speak to yourself in a negative way that's going to be how you see things in life whereas if you switch it around then that's that's the most important thing you can do to for yourself I think yeah absolutely it's not easy but it must be done (laughs) (laughs) 
Thank you so much for joining me today, Nikki. It's been a wonderful, wonderful chat. Thank you for sharing your experience. I know it's not easy, but you make it sound easy. And I'm sure there's lots of things that we can all learn from. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure to be on. really hope you've enjoyed this episode and hopefully learned a few things I know I certainly did and as always don't forget to let me know what you thought of this episode you can reach out to me on Instagram at Dr Shadi Manicherry I always love hearing your responses and if you have any requests for future podcast episodes please let me know there I do usually listen if there are specific requests that are quite popular as always there will be a new episode every week so please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and never miss an episode and I can't wait to speak to you soon.